0: or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Happy Tuesday, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. So I am so excited for today's episode. It's with Mariana Hewitt, who hardly needs an introduction, and it's an amazing conversation. I learned so much. And honestly, right after we finished the talk, I texted one of my friends and had this brainstorming session because I was so inspired. So it's an awesome conversation. But before I give you more details, I want to call out a review that I got, which was really nice and I really appreciated it. So it's from Mal Foxley. And it says, Sifat highlights all aspects of living our best life and more in this can't miss podcast. The host and expert guests offer insightful advice and information that is helpful to anyone that listens. This review is so meaningful, and I really appreciate hearing from you guys. So, you know, if you have five seconds, open up Apple Podcasts. Maybe you have it open right now. Scroll down a bit and drop me a five-star rating and review. Honestly, hearing your feedback is what keeps the show going. It also indicates to Apple Podcasts that you're finding value in the show and helps me bring on awesome guests like Mariana. So I hope you take the time to do that because it really does mean the world. So let me tell you about Marianna Hewitt. If you don't know her, she really is an OG content creator. She started out as a beauty YouTuber, created these incredible videos on all things beauty. And she adopted Instagram really quickly. And she's done the same for TikTok. She's been quick to, you know, create reels right when that feature came out. And of course, we can't forget that she's also the founder of cult favorite skincare line Summer Fridays. How she does it all? Well, you'll find out in this episode. During today's conversation, we chat about time management, honestly, which is such an important thing. I also pick her brain about content creation, strategy, you know, how she even got to where she is, that career trajectory, because a lot of the times we forget how hard it is at the very beginning of your career and what you have to do to get to where you are. So we get into all of that. And of course, we talk a lot about Summer Fridays and how she built this brand that has really taken on this cult following. So it's an incredible conversation, which I know you guys will love. Before we get into that, let's talk about this week's hot tip. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I was in Tulum and when I came back, my legs were destroyed by the mosquitoes. And these mosquitoes are like nothing I've ever experienced in my life. Like My legs were itchy and bruised and literally scabbing like TMI, but it's the truth, for like a week and a half afterwards until, in fact... I came home and started using the Feelist's Do Not Disturb CBD cream on my legs. Guys, this thing is a fucking miracle worker. I cannot even explain to you what it did to my legs, but all of a sudden, it stopped itching, it stopped bruising. Like it was like a miraculous recovery. It is a really, really, really great body lotion and I could not recommend it more. I use it every single night. It's also really relaxing. Like I can't explain it, but I'm obsessed and I feel like everyone needs to go get it, especially before or after a trip where there's mosquitoes present. You will thank me later. So without further ado, let's get into my chat with Mariana Hewitt. How do you feel like being told no shaped you into who you are today? Like even just as, you know, like what you're doing with summer Fridays, do you feel like, you know, did it, did it make you more resilient and kind of make you more gritty, I guess? For
1: myself, I would say, I know what I want in life and I am not afraid to go after it regardless of if other people don't believe in the thing that I'm trying to do. And this goes for my family, my friends, the people closest to me. Sometimes the people closest to you are your biggest critics, not just the people outside in your work environment or peers. And so when I first, I remember like going back, one of the first things was, I tell this story often, is I was getting ready to graduate college. One of my roommates said, okay, after college, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I said, oh, I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And become a TV host. And they said, oh, no, not like your dream job. Like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, no, that's really what I want to do. And my dreams were always bigger than I think I thought was imaginable. But because I saw other people doing it, I said, if them, why not me? Like it can be me if somebody else can do it too. And so I saw myself going after things that maybe seemed impossible. And my parents are super traditional, like very all about education and school and a typical career path. And so when I wanted to you know, be a TV host, my mom was like, okay, well, you need to have a backup job. And so she always thought that what I wanted to do was impossible. And so I had to prove myself not only to myself, but to my parents, to the people closest to me. And once they started to see those things become possible, then they believed in me. So if people in your life are telling you no, if you're pitching yourself and people are telling you no, you have to want to do something yourself to push yourself enough because sometimes you have no cheerleaders, even the people who love you won't cheer you on. So you have to really do that for yourself. And so for me being told, no, it never discouraged me. I was just like, okay, I just have to prove myself even more. And once I do this or prove myself a little bit, then people will be okay or understand why I want to do what I want to do.
0: I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I remember when I had the idea for Array, right? And I like I told my family first and my brother got it right away because he's younger than me and he's like, you know, just kind of grown up with me. He's worked now alongside me as like before he was my assistant. So like he just got it right away. And I remember my dad being like, "Okay, but like why why do you think you can create a wellness brand as opposed to a doctor? And I was like, no, but you don't get it. Like I'm seeing something that people aren't seeing. And it's really funny because like, of course, my dad is like my biggest fan now. But like, you know, sometimes those closest to you are doubtful and maybe they just don't get it. But like you just have to push through and not take what they're saying at face value, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Tell me about how you got into TV hosting. You had this dream when you were like, you know, graduating from college. So how did you get your foot in through the door? Because I can't imagine it being easy.
1: It's definitely not easy. And it was, it's not easy now. And it was even more difficult then because I think now we are in such a great place where you have these online platforms where you can create channels for yourself and it's accepted. But when I graduated from college, YouTube was really, not even a thing yet. It was so early on. And so in my career path, I always wanted to grow up to either be like an MTV VJ. I love TRL. I would watch it every day after school. This is maybe aging me a little bit, but I <laughs> loved it. And it was like the people like Vanessa Manillo and like Molly Sims and Brooke Burke. Like these were the women on TV that I saw. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love them. I love entertainment. I want to host a show like this. And I also really loved Oprah, and Oprah always had her favorite things, and I always loved Mariana's favorite things. I had things that I loved that I was passionate Aww. about. Like I truly, at my core, I feel like I am an influencer. Like I love to share the things that I love with other people because I genuinely just think if you buy these things, it will make your life better, easier. You'll be more confident, whatever it is. And so, Oprah had her favorite things, and so I thought if I if I want to host a show, if I want to f- share my favorite things. I have to be a TV host. Well, there's not really a school career path to being a TV host, but there is one to be a broadcast journalist, to be like a traditional news thinker. And so that's what I went to school for. I hosted like the entertainment news at my like college news station. And then in that process, I kind of was like, News is not for me. This is not the career path that I want to go down. I wanted to be more like lighthearted and so. When I graduated from college, I moved to LA. My mom was like, being a TV host is not a realistic career path. You need to have a backup plan. So while I was in college, I interned in PR. And then my first job out of college, I worked in public relations and I was working as an assistant at a PR place for celebrities. I was taking them to their interviews. And as I was taking them to their interviews, I was like, this is my backup job, but this is not what I want to do. And there's no point in working so hard in a career path if that's not really where you want to be in the end. And so in my free time. Well, I didn't really have a lot of free time because I was also like a hostess at a Katsuya, at Katsuya, like A sushi restaurant in LA. I mm-hmm. was a hostess there. So I would work at my PR job. After work, I would go and drive to this restaurant in Hollywood and I was a hostess there on nights and weekends. And then when I had a weekend free, I would take TV hosting classes, which is really different from news. And that's where I built my reel. And at the time... So it's like a catch-22. You can't get a job as a host unless you have a reel, but you don't have a reel unless you get jobs. So I was booking, I was creating these reels with like fake news stories just to have a reel to show to casting agents. And Mm -hmm. so to put my reel somewhere, I started a YouTube channel and I uploaded my reel to this YouTube channel just to have a place to send links. Mm -hmm. But because I had this YouTube channel, that's kind of how I started my YouTube channel Doing beauty videos and everything as well, so really, when I started my channel, it wasn't even I wasn't even thinking I was going to be an influencer. so that's how the beginning of my career started. I ended up working as a full-time uh, full-time TV host. I was doing entertainment first, I didn't love it, then I pivoted to fashion and beauty news. I liked that more because I felt like entertainment, although I loved watching it, I felt like when it became my job, one it took the fun out of it, and two, I just didn't really feel good speaking Mm -hmm. about other people and their lives. And I would get these questions from the producer. I would have to go do these red carpet interviews. And I felt so uncomfortable asking these people these questions about their life when they're there to talk about a movie or something. And so it wasn't a feel good job for me. But when I started doing fashion and beauty news, it felt a lot better because it felt like you're giving things to people or information to make them feel better, more confident. It wasn't gossipy. And so Mm -hmm. Then I was working as a TV host, then I was doing my YouTube channel, and then I became an influencer. That's a very long story of (laughs) my career path to like kind of where I all started. I'm Amanda Lippman. I run an organization called Run for Something. I
0: wrote a book called Run for Something. And now I host this show, also called Run for Something. My mission is simple. Find people who care about solving problems and help them run for office. Every
1: Tuesday, I'll talk with amazing and incredible candidates and elected officials who are already making a difference. They're in local offices that might seem small and not so sexy, but are actually hugely important for your day-to-day life. Fixing our broken system will take all of us and people like
0: you. Listen in every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts honestly, Mariana, it's so funny that you bring this up about that stage in your career, because I just spoke to Alison McNamara and she used to also be a TV host. And she said the exact same thing about when she used to have to interview celebrities because she was like, you know, this was like peak, you know, Hollywood and celebrity obsession time. And, you know, she'd have to follow celebrities around sometimes. And she just felt really, really uncomfortable. And that's how she kind of ended up pivoting her career as well. So I think it's really interesting when I hear that from two people, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So- you like you go into YouTube. Did you know that you were going to niche down into beauty right away? Like what attracted you to it?
1: So my very first videos were makeup tutorials. So I did one was like maybe like my full face and one was like brows or something. And it was always what I loved. And my first YouTube video I uploaded in February of 2012. So now I've been doing this almost 10 years, which just wow, crazy that it's been been this long, but I always loved beauty. And I felt like per platform there's different things that work for each and at the time you were either a blogger and you had a blog with like beautiful images and your outfits and or you were a youtuber where you created like makeup content and there weren't a lot of people doing both but i think because of my background from working as a tv host you know learning how to edit videos in college all of that background kind of got me to the point where i was like started a youtube channel and makeup mm-hmm. just always felt really natural to me a lot of the YouTubers were a lot younger than me. And so I think my perspective of makeup, the products I was buying, it was just really different and unique at the time. So I think it was always like beauty was always at the core of everything that I did, because that's what I felt so passionate about. And I love fashion and style and wellness and lifestyle and all these other things. But really at the core of everything was product. And I love beauty products.
0: That's really interesting. So how did you notice your audience was growing? Like, did you have like a moment which felt like an aha moment?
1: So back then in 2012, I started my YouTube channel. In 2013, I started my Instagram. And in 2013 on Instagram, there was a popular page. It's mm-hmm. kind of like TikTok's for you page now, where you were fed all of this content from people and like kind of images could go viral on the for you page or on the popular page, like the for you page on TikTok now. And so every time your picture would go on there, you'd gain like a thousand followers mm-hmm. and you would get so many likes and comments. And that's how a lot of the early people on Instagram grew to be really big, really fast was from this popular page. And so on that popular page, when I was working at the time, every time I would go to a red carpet or an event or something for work, I would take a picture of myself and put it on Instagram really as just like a place to showcase like work that I was doing. But instead of being like, who did you interview? What was this about? It would be like, what are you wearing? How did you do your hair and makeup? Where did you buy this dress? And then, so it started to become more about me than the work I was doing. And then in 2014, I launched my blog. And the day I launched my blog, my site crashed. And I was like, okay, there's something here. Like these people on Instagram are wanting to go to my website to find out more information And then by April of that year, I was able to become a full-time influencer, which at the time we were called like blogger. Mm -hmm. It wasn't really the word influencer yet. And then what really started taking off for me was like once I fully dedicated my time because before then I would just film content like on the weekends and post it during the week while I was at work. A couple of videos like started to go viral. One was how I edit my Instagram photos. And because it was so early in Instagram, everyone was trying to figure it out. And that video got picked up by like Harper's Bazaar. And it was a really big deal because these kind of media outlets weren't covering influencers or bloggers yet. And another one was like how to get Kylie Jenner's matte lips because this is before Kylie Cosmetics, before (laughs) Kylie Lip Kits. And so kind of some of those like SEO terms that I learned from work, I use and apply to my influencer content because you can't really find Instagram content, but you can search and find a YouTube video. You can search and find a blog post. And so those SEO kind of terms that people were looking for really helped me at the beginning. So
0: smart. So how important would you say it is to niche down when it comes to social media? Like obviously it worked for you when you you started off as like a beauty influencer on YouTube, but even today, like, would you say it's super important
1: I say all the time that niches are important for a number of reasons. And if you don't have a niche, then I I think having a personality is really important. So the reason why niches are important, if you're someone trying to build a new audience and you're posting in any and everything, people don't really know what to expect from you. But if you have a niche, people know I can come to you for this certain type of content or this certain area of expertise where I'm either learning or being entertained or finding something about products that I love from you. Not only is it great for your followers, but it's great for potential brand partners. So if a brand is looking to spend money with an influencer and maybe they don't have a ton of budget yet and they want to spend in micro and niche influencers, having people whose audience are hyper focused in a certain area is so helpful when brands want to partner with people and so you know you and i both have brands we both work with people with sponsored content and there's so many different levels of people that you want to work with but when you're in, you have a niche audience of people who are obsessed with skincare for example and it's 10,000 people who are so obsessed i know that my money might go further with them than someone with a million followers where the, someone with a million followers has a different purpose maybe it's brand visibility or brand awareness. And so everyone kind of has a different reason. So that's why I think niches are important. And then if you don't have a niche, having a personality because you can only get that personality from you. So I have to follow you for this reason to see either your life, your personality, what you're doing in your free time. And so that's where I think that's important because then no one can kind of copy what your personality is.
0: That's so smart. What's an example of someone you think has a personality?
1: There's a lot of people. Um, Tinks comes to mind as one of them where she's great. She's such a personality. And like you follow her, and it's like you know, this witty sense of humor comes across through everything that she does. Yes, she happens to show products that she's obsessed with, but she's a personality. Another one would be, um, I'm trying to think, like even like Lauren, Lauren and Michael. So Mm -hmm. she has Skinny Confidential on the podcast, but it's like, I know her tone of voice. I know that she's pink and she's bright and she's going to be witty and sassy and that's her personality. And on top of all the great products that she recommends, I know that her personality comes through in everything that she does and that this is what I expect from her. Where other people are influencers and they just share great products all the time. Another person with a great personality is Melissa Wood, who we both Mm -hmm. love. And she's another one where yes, she's sharing her workouts, but she's also sharing her family and her meditations and her daily habits and the things that work for her. And she's talking to camera and it's like, I could go to another place and get another Pilates app or at home workout. But with her, it's her personality that really shines through, whether it's in her stories or in her workout videos.
0: I love that. These are like actually such great tangible tips. And, you know, I'm totally with you. I think that niching down is so important, especially if you're micro. What you've done really well over time is kind of open up your niche. So what was the most strategic way for you to do this? And like, how would you advise other creators?
1: I don't even know that it's strategic because I think it takes a long time. So Since I've been doing this for almost 10 years now, you have to think a majority of the last 10 years, I spent really focusing on beauty. Mm -hmm. And people still think of me for beauty, but then I think people become really into you as a person. And then you're not just an influencer because it's like a generic beauty influencer. It's You're wanting to get Mariana's recommendations, which it could be anyone who's been doing it for a year. They have 10,000 followers and you're just obsessed with them. So it's not necessarily a number of followers or a time that you've been doing it but it's the trust that you have in this person and i think once you gain the trust and you have influence over your community then you can start expanding to other things but if you're still trying to figure out your niche and you're still trying to get people to convert in one area it's going to be hard to try to share other things with them because they might get really confused by the type of content they're coming to you for and so for me just as as I've gotten older, there's things that really interest me in my life and wellness and lifestyle, interior design. These are all things that I really care about and want to share. Not every area of my life is able to be monetized. So some things I'm just sharing from the pure joy of like sharing things like home decor, for example, like I don't really work with a lot of home decor brands, but it's still something I really love to share. And that's something people come to me for. But if you're an influencer, I would kind of look at like where your income is coming from and -hmm. what the mix is. And if 90% of your incoming jobs are in style and fashion, you should still be giving most of your content style and fashion because that's what the brands are coming to you for. And maybe that's what your audience likes best from you because that's what's really resonating. And so if you want to expand into other categories, like Lauren and I talk a lot about like pillars in your content. Mm -hmm. So let's say you have four pillars. Let's say mine Could be beauty, style, wellness, and then something else would be like travel. But I'm not really traveling right now, so I'm not posting travel frequently. But like my bread and butter is like beauty and wellness, which I'll just kind of like lump into one thing. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I just want to make sure I'm every day posting something either beauty or wellness related on my feed. There's something beauty or wellness related, Um, and then like kind of sprinkle in the other things because every chance that you post something to not only is it engaging with your current followers, it's also a chance to lose followers. So if you post stuff that's not engaging and not resonating with them, they might unfollow you. Um, And so that's something to be mindful of too.
0: So smart. Also, I think that you have done a phenomenal job evolving with social media. So like you know as soon as for example like i remember reels became a thing like your your reels would be fed to me every day like it was okay, it's yeah. unbelievable <laughs> no like i'm like amazed you know so what are your tips for evolving with social media like how how did you even start creating tiktok videos like what's your process
1: i would say as soon as you see something happening just get on it because Maybe it goes away and dies down, but maybe it's here to stay. And what you don't want to be is too late to a platform because then it's really hard to grow. I also think I'm saying this, but also if something, if a platform's not for you, don't force yourself to be on something. If it's not genuinely the type of content you want to create, like TikTok is amazing. But if you don't like creating videos or you don't want to post videos, then don't feel the pressure to be on there. There's plenty of other platforms like Pinterest and Instagram where you don't have to create video content. But for me when I started my blog and YouTube and Instagram, it was very early on. And with TikTok, I downloaded the app in September, October of 2019. And I saw a lot of people were on there and I wanted to just watch it for a few months before I started posting because I wanted to really like understand. I think I posted my first video, maybe like December of 2019. But at the time, it was all really like dancing videos. And, I, mm-hmm. and it was very Gen Z. And I was like, this is not the platform for me yet because I don't know where I fit on here. Now Mm -hmm. it's definitely evolved in more like um, entertainment, education. Um, There's like a value add to the content on there now. So it's a little bit different. So I've been posting more frequently. Like what's your process for creating content? So my process is really different for creating content. So you and I both have a lot of jobs. And so (laughs) I kind of divvy up my days. So for me, Monday is summer Fridays, heavy Tuesday is podcast heavy, and Wednesday is my content creation day. Mm -hmm. And so I know I have one day of the week where that focus that day is I'm going to get ready in the morning, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to do my hair, my makeup, and I'm going to take as many different types of content that I can in that day so I have enough stuff to post the rest of the days. And so if you are somebody who is working at a job and you can't figure out how to get content up because you want to be an influencer too, whatever days off that you have from work, whether that's Saturday, Sunday, or a day during the week... Just take that time, go bank and do a bunch of content, reels, TikToks, stuff that you can repurpose through a lot of different platforms to get like the most bang for your buck. And then another tip too is to take evergreen content. So instead of taking something that's specific to a day or a moment in time, take content that's good forever so that you can either repost it later or it lives a little bit longer than just a day on your Instagram stories. And so my process for me now is I have a little like notes app in my phone and it's just a check mark so I can Visually see the things I want to make sure I'm posting each week. So, like thinking back to like whatever your content pillars are, make a note in your phone, make a like a list for stories, make a list for feed, and then just make sure each week that you're ticking off those boxes. And so, when I'm posting each week, I just make sure I'm covering each of those bases, so that I make sure I'm always top of mind as somebody who's talking about beauty, wellness, lifestyle, decor, whatever it might be. Um, So, I think that's really helpful. And then. I think on TikTok, the trends happen so quickly. So Mm -hmm. if you don't film a video fast enough, it's almost better to just not follow the trend and like go back to what I said about creating evergreen content. Because if you follow a trend and it's with this trendy sound, but you posted it like three weeks too late, then you may as well just not have posted it. But if you post a generic video, like five ways to wear denim, that's good anytime. Or you can do it seasonally, like five ways to wear denim in the fall, five ways to wear denim in the winter. And you can have these series of things where it's, it doesn't feel dated. And then you can mm-hmm. also cross promote that on Instagram because Reels and TikTok are not the same. They're both videos, but the trends don't really translate from TikTok to Instagram. And what does well on Instagram, I feel like doesn't do well on TikTok. And so I think you also just need to make the, make the content unique to the platform.
0: Yeah, I mean, that I could not agree more with. Like, even just as we kind of, you know, like create content for Array, right? Like, what we create for Reels is a completely different thing than what we create for TikTok because I feel like it just lands different.
1: It's so different. And I feel like on TikTok, it's like the less edited, the better, the more Mm -hmm. like native to the platform, the better. But on Reels, they still want it to be like Instagram-y. So like Reels, I feel like they like a beautiful video, it's just different. Like, and even like I've noticed, like, if you use an Instagram filter, it doesn't work well if you then upload that video to TikTok. Like, TikTok is like very like, lo fi, no filter, natural light. Like, it, do- it just doesn't look the same. Like, sometimes when I'm even watching videos or like my own videos, I'm like, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have used a filter on here because it just doesn't look <laughs> like it should be on this platform.
0: Yeah, I'm totally with you. So when it comes to things like TikToks and Reels, like you're doing so much, like did you hire a team or like did you hire someone for social media specifically? And I ask this because I know that there are a lot of people who are maybe either like already influencers who are kind of like nurturing their careers there and they actually don't know like how to structure I guess or or whether they should even have a team.
1: So I'm the one doing all of my social myself. I do all of my posting, I film my reels and TikToks, I edit them. I do it all alone because I just feel like I know what works best for my audience. I've tried before having social people help me not with like the content creation but just like helping me post, but it just wasn't the same and so it is a lot for me to do myself, but I do have a lot of help so I have a personal assistant who helps me with like all things personal. I have um, someone who works on both summer Fridays and my sponsored content side, so she helps mm-hmm. with like all of that. And then I have someone else that helps me with podcast specific. So I do have three different assistants for the different jobs and areas of my life. But for the actual social part, I do all of that myself. So if you get a DM back from me or I respond to a comment, it's actually me replying back to you. It's not somebody else responding on my behalf. And so. I feel like that's really important just to know, but then it's hard because the days that I'm really busy, then I end up not posting on stories all day long. And so it's a balance of that, but there are really great people who can help you. And I think for a lot of brands, it's helpful to have social people. Like we have a full social team at Summer Fridays. Same. There's no way that like we could do it with just even one person. Like we just had another um, new hire start who's focusing specifically on TikTok and video content creation. And so our social team is growing because it's just such a huge part of our business. But for me personally, it doesn't work. But I do have a lot of friends who have social people, especially friends who are like busy moms and they don't have time to be on social all day. So they'll help them post, they engage for them, they post their stories and their swipe up links just to make sure they're getting enough content up. Um, But for now, I can handle it myself. Um, It's just a little overwhelming.
0: I'm actually, I'm like in awe. Like I cannot believe you do all of your content yourself because the rate at which you produce, it's like, I mean that plus summer Fridays plus podcast, it's like I've something I've never seen. What are your productivity hacks? Because I know you split them up into days where it's like, you know, heavy on podcast or, um, summer Fridays or content, but like, do you have any other productivity hacks?
1: I would say I'm always trying to like hack my life to be the most productive because I truly believe in work life balance. I do not believe in overworking yourself. I say this now as someone who's almost 35. So in my 20s I definitely like worked my butt off. I worked too many hours. I worked multiple jobs nights and weekends, like crazy hours like every day of the week. So by working a lot harder in my 20s, I gave myself the flexibility now in my 30s. To have the work-life balance, so it didn't just—I wasn't able to just wake up one day and have this. But now that I have it, I don't want to lose it. And so for me, having a start and end time to my workday is really important. And I know it sounds like, well, if I work more, then I'm going to be more productive. But that's actually not how I felt. Mm-hmm. I found that when I work on the weekends and it comes to Monday, I don't feel rested, and I just feel like it's just like never-ending like work cycle. By taking the weekend off and having off hours. When I wake up the next morning and start my work, I'm so much more refreshed to handle everything that day and get through all the things that I need to do. And so my number one productivity hack is if possible, have work-life balance or give yourself some sort of boundaries or working hours or a day with no social media, which I do one day on the weekend with no social. So that's my number one productivity hack is take care of yourself because that is the most important because if you don't take care of you, you can't do everything else you need to do in your life. My second is I live and die and breathe by to-do lists, my calendar, my notes app. So I have every single thing in my calendar is scheduled down to the minute, even like When I'm driving somewhere, when I'm picking up food to eat, like everything down to like 15 minute increments on my calendar so that I know exactly what I'm doing. It might sound like that's so much structure, but actually, the structure in my calendar gives me freedom because I know exactly what I'm doing and I don't have to guess what I'm doing that day. And so it takes a lot of like the, like in the morning, waking up, trying to figure out what you need to do for the day. And then I also have like a physical to do list that I keep next to my desk. So I write things out. And for me, physically checking things off of a to do list. It's so helpful for me. So satisfying. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love it. It's my favorite. And then I also have a notes app in my phone. If people don't know on your notes app, on your iPhone, you can share notes with other people. So I have joint notes with other people that I share them with. And so as I'm writing something on it, it's updated on their phone too. And so for sponsored content, this is one of the things. So when I work with a brand, I send the content for approval. They approve it. They send it back to me everything is put into this like shared notes app. So it's just already living on my phone. I don't have to search in my email inbox to like get the information. And so everything's there. I can just copy and paste what I've already written that's approved to post on my Instagram. So notes is really helpful. Other productivity things, um, I'm trying to think. I took a day. I actually took... It was like 9 or 10 hours of cleaning out my email inbox because I was like, if I have to email for the rest of my career... I need to get a handle on my inbox mm-hmm. because I didn't really have a system before. I just would get an email, if I needed to do something on it, I would leave it unread, and then if I was already done with it, I would just leave it in my inbox. So I took an entire day, I deleted all old emails, I filed them away, I came up with like a new system, and it is so helpful because we're being all like remote work from home still, like my email inboxes are just always piling up and then because the different jobs that I have, everyone has different requests from me in each inbox. And so being organized in my inbox has made me more productive, but it, I really had to dedicate a whole day to doing this, but now I'm so glad
0: that I did it. Oh God, it's something I have to do. Um, so thank you for the reminder. I have to make time to do this because even mine, like my inbox is completely bursting at its seams. I did that
1: and I also went unsubscribed from a bunch of stuff. <laughs> and oh. then another thing that I love too is I made a junk email address So any online orders that I place or anywhere, you know, when you like go to get free Wi-Fi and it's like put in your email address and then they send you a million emails. (laughs) I made up this like junk email and now I use this for everything. And it is, I have so many emails that go there and it's great because it doesn't fill up my my inbox. This is the hack of a
0: lifetime. I love it. I want to touch on work-life balance again and like taking time off because it's something that Nish and I talk about all the time. And honestly, we're struggling with it because, you know, we are new brand founders and I'm totally with you. Like when I don't take the weekends off, I'm just exhausted on a Monday and it just feels like it's completely non-stop. But how did you arrive there? Like, did you have a revelation or like, did you like, I don't know, like, did you have systems in place to kind of help you arrive there?
1: So- the first few years of summer Fridays were three and a half years in now. Mm-hmm. It was not possible, and it was so hard because we had such a small team and Lauren and I started this business ourselves. we didn't have a parent company or anything, so we were really like doing so many jobs and we were also influencers still full- time and then Lauren was a new mom at the time, so there was a lot going on, so there was no work life balance like we were trying to just fit in as many things as we could but As our company grew, we were able to hire more things and slowly take things off of our plate, but it took a long time to get there. And we see entrepreneurs online and it seems like a dream life and it is, and it's amazing, but there are so many hard days. And you know, it's like, there's Mm -hmm. so many difficult, hard days where like, you're just trying to do so many jobs and so much relies on you that it's impossible to have work-life balance. So that's why I said like, in my twenties, I didn't have that luxury. As I've got to my mid-30s now, it's something that I have, but it took a long time of not having work-life balance to eventually get to the point where I am today. And Lauren and I, we have no ego in our business of knowing that there's things that we don't know how to do. So hiring people to do the things that we don't know how to do. But with that, as a brand owner, you definitely... Have like a little sense of like oh like, I want to so get this you. Yeah, yeah, you're so protective, yeah. I totally so get it. And so taking things off your plate is difficult because it's like your baby, and you want it to do so well, and like you're so involved in it. But you know that for your baby to grow, you have to like let go a little bit. And so we slowly started like okay, we don't necessarily need to do this thing. Like where is our time best spent, and that's where we need to focus on in the business. And so we still work the same amount of hours it's just more dedicated to like specific things now instead of trying to do everything, but it took a long time to get there. But as an influencer, there is really, it's really difficult to have work-life balance because it's basically just you. Like for myself, it's just me. So there's not other people. Mm -hmm. And then there's no one else you can put on camera or on your stories and your content. So it has to be you. So I think giving yourself boundaries when you're working for yourself as a content creator, influencer. That's why for me, I take one day on the weekend off from social. Because in any other job, you would take the weekends or have some time off of work. But as an influencer, you're so used to being on 24-7. like You have to have some downtime. So that was really important for me just to feel like I don't need to be online every day. Everything will be there tomorrow. It's totally okay. So I think that's a really good boundary. So just like banking content and making sure you have enough to post just so you're not so... Because I think on social, when you're on it like too much, I feel like it starts to mess with your head a little bit.
0: Oh my God. It just sucks your energy.
1: Yeah. So there's time I just have to like be off of it as much as I love it. I'm like, okay, I need to like be off my phone and like be in like the real world and just like be enjoying whatever I'm doing in the present moment. And I'll just take pictures and I'll post them on my stories tomorrow. Um, So I think that boundary is really important, but it's hard. Like it's really difficult, but I love that right now. I feel like a lot of people are taking that time for self-care, mental health, days where they're like you know using a day to take off of work um having boundaries in work and so i do think that's so important And i think the more brand founders like jen atkin is really good about talking about mm-hmm. this how like work-life balance is so important like don't burn yourself out but also it takes a little bit of time to like be able to have that luxury so if you're in your 20s and you feel like there's no work-life balance hopefully in the future you will be able to get there
0: fingers crossed i'm working on it um So I want to get into Summer Fridays. I think like your branding is actually iconic. I need to understand the process. Like how did you even land on it? Like talk, talk us through how Summer Fridays started, like in terms of like the branding and the product and all of that.
1: Well, thank you so much because it's something that we really pride ourselves in because at the time we were launching, our goal was to launch at Sephora, but we didn't know if we would launch there. So we were Mm -hmm. planning on launching direct to consumer. And if you are only online, we thought you have to be brought in by the packaging Mm -hmm. and what the brand looks like and feels like online. Because if you can't try it in store and you can't see it in a physical space, why would you want to buy this? And so how it looked was so important because we knew you had to want to buy it just from an image. And so at the time, this is like when Glossier was really big, which it's still really big, but at the time, everything was like this millennial pink color. And every product that we felt like was coming out was in the same color range. And even my own personal Instagram was like very blush and pink and white and light. And I never posted any color and it was so specific. And when we formulated our first product, which was Jet Lag Mask, we came up with this idea because Lauren was expecting, um, I was traveling a lot for work. And so as a new mom, you're exhausted, you're tired. So her jet lag was like physically being exhausted from being a working mom. (laughs) And then my jet lag was like from traveling and being all over the place and being tired. And so we dreamed up this product. But to really make it stand out, we wanted one to be an aluminum tube, which we were sustainable before being sustainable in packaging <laughs> and packaging was as popular as it is today. And then we wanted it to really stand out on social. So, blue, we felt like went with that feeling of hydration and it really really stood out on instagram so when we gifted people or when people were buying you kept seeing this blue tube all over instagram and you
0: almost i like couldn't open instagram for a while without seeing it literally like from that's exactly what happened for me i was like what on earth is this product like everyone and their uncle has it and i just need it and like that's actually like how i ended up ordering my first jet lag mask because i was like i, I have to have this product
1: thank you well So it worked. And so I think that's why branding is so important. But it has to be... Not only is the branding important, but once you get the product, it has to be amazing. So products that work are at the core of who we are. So every single product, it's like... And I know it sounds like it's a given, but there's a lot of brands and products that you just try and it's underwhelming. And so for us, we just had to make sure like we really stand behind each of these formulas and we love them so much. And so... Maybe the packaging and branding brings you in, but the product and how it works and how effective it is will keep you, you know, repurchasing, hopefully. And so for us, this blue tube became iconic and the packaging that was in. And so we thought it has to be photogenic, it has to catch your eye on social. And there are so many new brands now. So if you are a brand wanting to launch and you want to launch on social, I would come up with something really unique. It's difficult, especially with stock packaging. Like, there's only so many options of what you can do. Mm-hmm. Have something unique that stands out because don't copy someone else because somebody's already doing that on social. So, really, really try to find something that's unique, whether it's the type of packaging that it's in, the fonts and colors that you use, the way you photograph it, because there's so much that we're like, Just if I open my Instagram and scroll right now, I'll go through so many products and it's so fast. So just think of something that catches someone's eye so quickly. And hopefully the blue tube did that for us. And even down to like, I don't think Instagram stories were out yet, but when we launched the brand, I think it was just feed at the time and we were testing what would it look like if we took a picture of this aluminum tube in a square Instagram photo and like the Summer Fridays logo at first was too small. So we kept enlarging it. So if it was in a flat lay and you posted it on your Instagram feed, you could see the Summer Fridays large enough. So we just were thinking social first with all the packaging design.
0: So smart. So what was your go-to-market strategy? Like how did you bring this product out? Like did you create hype before it went live? Like walk me through that. So
1: we were going to launch in, I'm trying to think of the years, January, 2018. So in December of 2017, oh my gosh, this is so long ago. I was just thinking about <laughs> this. December of 2017, Women's Wear Daily ran an article saying that we were launching this skincare brand. And at this point, we had already been speaking with Sephora, but they hadn't committed to anything yet. We were just showing them packaging and sending them samples. And we'd been talking back and forth. And I was in New York that day and they have this, it's called like Women's Wear Daily Beauty Inc. Awards. And mm-hmm. I got um, Influencer of the Year that year. And so the day that I got this award, it's all like the best people in beauty, like the biggest and best, every retailer, every brand, every, everybody is there. And it was announced that morning. And so I met so many people that day. Even though I was there as an influencer, the article about Summer Fridays came out. And I was sitting next to this woman. She was like, oh, my daughter... Has her Christmas wish list, and she just says that she wants a face mask for Christmas and she wants it to be like really cute to post on Instagram. I was like, oh my gosh, well, I have the perfect product for you. I was like, it just got announced this morning. And it ended up being Mecca, which is based in Australia, which is one of our great retailers that we work with. And um, so that's how I connected with her there. But after the article came out, Sephora saw it, and then they reached out, um, even though we had been talking. And then they didn't ask us to come. We just said, we can come there next week and meet Mm -hmm. with you. And then they were like, okay, great. And they picked a date and we flew up there. So it was like one of those cases back to the beginning of the episode mm-hmm. of like being told no, they could have said, oh no, it's okay. We don't want to meet at the time, but I didn't have a problem just saying like, I'm willing to fly myself up there. Like I'm willing to come meet with you. And I just asked. And at the end of the meeting, they said they wanted to carry summer Fridays. And, Incredible. and so we were supposed to launch in January, but to launch at Sephora, we had to increase our initial purchase order. So we weren't able to launch until March. So we ended up launching in March of that year at Sephora. So we were going to launch direct to consumer if a retailer didn't take us. Sephora was always our dream. Sephora came on board. We pushed the launch by a few months and it became an instant bestseller and award winner. And I can't believe like that was how we launched the brand, but it's really just like a dream come true. And I'm so grateful. And I tell Sephora all the time like how grateful I am and the first time we walked into stores like we cried seeing it because we couldn't believe that this was possible and they're really such an incredible retailer and a place to be and we're so grateful for them and on our community for you know coming on board when we launched the brand and trusting us and continuing to buy products from us now three and a half years later.
0: Yeah. I mean, you guys have done a phenomenal job. What are your tips for building a viral brand? And this can even just be like one tip, like aside from awesome packaging, I also feel like, you know, you've like really honed in on your community as well.
1: If I could make everything go viral, I would. So I wish that there was a formula, but there just isn't. There are things that you can do right, but you don't really know what's going to hit because you never know how people are going to receive it and how people feel. You can only do what's right for you and your brand. So for us, having an aluminum aluminum tube, having this blue packaging all of that was really unique to us and like what we really felt like we wanted to do it wasn't to go viral it was to stand out on social in a sea of other pictures so mm-hmm. virality is so difficult because if we could all go viral we would all love to because we would love to like go viral on tiktok and sell out of all of our products cuz it would be amazing but all you have to do is stand by your products and products that work whether it's you know for us you know wellness and beauty so the products actually have to work. Like the reason I like my bloat supplements is because they actually work. And if it didn't work, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't keep using them. So stand by your products and sure something can go viral, but like the goal is that this product's going to be around forever and that people are going to repurchase and reuse them over and over again. So like, um, products that work thinking about longevity, like how, like it shouldn't just be a flash in the pan, like everything you create, um, should stand the test of time. So don't do something just because you think it'll go viral right now. You really want it to live and breathe for a long time. So those two things are important. And another thing is just coming up with your own style of either photography, typography, the way you do your Instagram stories, the way your feed looks, the way you talk to your customers, your tone of voice. Because if you just copy what somebody else is doing, they're already doing that and they can already get that from another brand. Just like I said earlier about influencers having a niche. And if you don't have a niche, have a personality. Mm -hmm. Your brand personality is the same thing. So using like Lauren and Skinny Confidential as another example, her tone of voice on Skinny Confidential and her tone of voice on her podcast and her social is all the same. And so that same pink that she loves is translated into her physical goods and products. And I know that like that sassiness and that product and like the way that she names her products, I can expect that from products to come from her because that's brand specific to her. And so it's not necessarily about virality. It's about personality.
0: It's so true and I love that you say what you say about, you know, a, a product that genuinely can stand on its own two feet because even for us I remember when we were coming up with array, something we spoke to our formulator about was, you know, you can create a product which is just really beautiful and then people use it once and then they never come back. Or you can create a product which is of like the highest quality and really touches people's lives so that they become lifetime customers and that is kind of what determines the longevity of a business. And I feel like people really need to be cognizant of that in this age of like, you know, just social media first brands. Like, yes, that's super important, but it's also so important to have an incredible product that people can't get enough of.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you want to, if you're spending all this time and effort launching something, you want it to live a lot longer. You would hope that it's just not something people are going to buy for a month and forget about. And so if you're putting all this effort into something, just make sure you're gonna really love it for a a very long time to
0: come. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So one more question about Summer Fridays. And that question is that, you know, you guys launched with just one SKU, which I think is the fucking smartest thing I've seen. And we like, we did something similar. We we launched with two and I feel like it just helps with credibility because, and, and it helps you like kind of get product market fit. What was your thought process behind that? Because I know that especially as a beauty brand, like there's a lot of pressure to launch with like a bunch of different products?
1: Yeah. So it's not really typical. I think in beauty at the time, brands that were doing it before us were like beauty blender. There was like a handful of brands, but the problem and the benefit of this is it's high risk, high reward. If you come out with one product and it does well, then amazing. But if it doesn't do well, then until your next launch, your business is not doing great. And that's not great for anybody. So there's, there's pluses and minuses to both. The reason that we chose to do it this way was as influencers, we felt so overwhelmed by just like the amount of gifting that we were getting every day. And when I would receive gifting from a new brand, I would get 10 new products. I wouldn't even know which one to try because I was just so overwhelmed that I sometimes just didn't try anything because I didn't know which one was like the best one or the mm-hmm. newest one or what they were focusing on. And by just launching with one thing, we thought it was easier for our friends and our influencers. It was easier for new consumers to figure out what to try. And then when we did eventually go with Sephora, it was easier for a retailer to just take on a new brand with one product because they could just upload one product to their website. And they could just um, put one product in store versus needing to find an entire shelf space for us. And so it's easier to take on from a brand perspective, from a retailer perspective. And then also as a new and indie brand, it was easier for us to produce one product at, at a time as well. And so there were so many benefits to it. But what happens with this is, we were fortunate that we did a lot of the right things plus a little bit of luck that with jet lag, it became you know, such a great product for us. But had it not, maybe we wouldn't have even survived the first year. I don't know what would have happened to the brand had the first product not been a hit because it's very expensive to start a company and to keep it oh, running yes. and employees and all of these things. And so looking back, I think we did the right thing, but you never know. Like, Had we launched something else, I don't know if we would be talking about Summer Fridays today as we are. And so it's difficult, but as we get, we move forward, that's a lot of pressure on each new launch because we still only launch single products at a time.
0: It's something that really resonates with me as a consumer, even because I've never been overwhelmed with the number of products coming from you guys, I feel like it's always been so strategic. Like I remember it was the jet lag and then it was the one with the orange packaging. And then the pink one, like, do you see, I remember like all of these launches, like, is that not wild to you? (laughs) Yeah. I love
1: that you remember them. And so we wanted to give each thing a little bit of time. And what's crazy now is like, we've come out with more things, but people still haven't tried jet lag mask yet. So it's like, you come out with new things. You want to give the new things love while still focusing on your hero skews and your best sellers at the same time so it's definitely like a delicate dance with marketing of what to push, what to talk about because you want to push the ones that are working and the ones that are selling but you also want to push the new products too and so the more that come out the more difficult it is to like kind of just make sure everything's getting enough love and so as we grow that's a difficult thing that we're learning at the same time but like I love the way that we launch products and the way that our team does because we make a really big splash about each launch because they're each so special.
0: Yeah, everything has its moment, which is so awesome. Um, Mariana, last question for you. What is your morning routine?
1: So my morning routine, I try my best not to look at my phone for like the first hour. When I say look at my phone, I mean like don't open up social or email or Slack or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I meditate. I do, I meditate twice a day. Well, I meditate at least once a day. I would like to get the second one in. I don't always do the afternoon or evening one, but I always Mm -hmm. meditate in the morning. I write in my gratitude journal. I write things that I'm grateful for and I also give myself like varying prompts. It just kind of depends what day of the week it is or what's going on, but I'll ask myself, what's my intention for today? How do I want to feel at the end of the day? Someone I'm sending love to, Uh, some sort of prompt like that. What can I do for my future self today that my future self would thank me for? After that, I will do like a little stretch and I'll listen to the morning news. I use USA Today, five things. I listen to it every morning. It's just like a good way to like get the headlines for the day just before I start my day. Um, I walk my dog. I have a hot water with lemon, take my supplements, and then I start my work after that. Love it. Tell
0: everyone where they can find you.
1: You guys can listen to my podcast every Tuesday. It's called Life with Mariana. I've got amazing people on there. You can follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt. We're also at Summer Fridays. Summer Fridays is available on our website. Sephora, Revolve, Net-a-Porter, Mecca, Call Beauty, Selfridges. We're basically like everywhere I know I'm forgetting somebody. And yeah, so thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you, Mariana. This was super fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow. So I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at sifhider. And don't forget to hit subscribe. So you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday. So come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week.